This is the Dungeon Master's Handbook. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Dungeon Master's Handbook. I'm Michael, Chicago is. Glad you're here with me. This episode, we're going to take a pause from talking about things about creating and maintaining campaigns, and I'd like to answer some questions that you all have been kind enough to send me. I really love when I get the questions and the feedback. It really helps to keep me going and to uh, to keep this podcast going because it means you care enough that about what I'm talking about, and I really appreciate that. Um, I do have to warn you, I am not a professional GM, nor do I play one on TV. Um, I like to think that I do what I do very well. I really love what I do. I have a lot of happy players, and I love being able to share what I know and learn from you all and hear about how you do things. So the advice I'm going to give you is how I've done things. Um, By all means, What I think is most important is that you should find out what works for you, what works for your campaign, and especially what works between you and your players. That's always going to be the most important thing. What is best for your table, whether it be real or virtual? Um, And, you know, hopefully these tips and tricks will help you. If not, let me know. Let me know what you do. Okay. So the first question that I was asked that I'd like to talk about is, Making a wandering monster chart, how do you do that? And that is a really great question because I struggled with that for a long time. Um, You know, and because you have different wandering monsters. You have the wandering monsters for a dungeon. And then you have the wandering monsters for an outdoor setting. And I find that each one I do a little bit differently. And each one presents its own challenges to me. The dungeon one's probably a little bit more straightforward. Um, you know, with, with a dungeon level, and, and I do my wandering monster charts usually level by level, it's a little more straightforward. What is already in the dungeon? What's already there? Um, what factions are there? What kind of creatures are there? And that kind of gives me a really good starting point. A couple of things that I try to do is I try to give my wandering monsters a reason for wandering. Um, And so my wandering monster charts may have, you know, the random, you know, 1d10 orcs, 1d20, you know, skeletons and so on. But I may pick certain groups or maybe certain uh, leaders of the groups and have them wandering around. You know, maybe the goblins from six... uh, corridors over are doing a patrol. And so if I roll them up and the players deal with them, well, guess what? They just cleared out a room as a wandering monster. Um, I may have my wandering monsters be fighting each other. Um, I may have the wandering monsters be looking for help. You know, it kind of depends on what your dungeon is about and how it flows. Um, I also like to throw odd little things in there. I, 
To me, a dungeon was always meant to be mysterious, spooky, slightly horrific, slightly otherworldly. Um, the OSR has this thing about the the dungeon as an underworld or a different world where the rules don't work exactly as, as they do maybe on the surface. I'm totally for that. I think dungeons should be as strange and as weird and have personalities much like the characters that are playing in them. And so I try to have my wandering monster charts include at least one or two of those elements just to make it interesting. Now, I do want my wandering monsters to be deadly. Um, wandering monsters are there for a reason. They're there to keep the players moving. If the players are spending too long at one point, start rolling dice. Uh, ha you know, get them moving along. Uh, wandering monsters are there so that if the players are going to camp out for the night in a dungeon, there's some danger in that. And I want them to reflect that. Now, conversely, on the surface, things are a little more wide open. You know, I don't have as constrained of an area. So generally what I'll do is I'll look at that location um, or the area that the players are going to be in and what is generally found in that area. And then from that point, I will go ahead and come up with a wandering monster list that will reflect you know, the preachers in the area. But here, I kind of mix things up. I'll have a wandering monster chart for roads, and then I'll have a wandering monster chart for off-roads. Um, you know, on the roads, if you're in civilization, you're probably going to meet more of the ordinary folk. Uh, maybe people on a mission, maybe patrols, maybe there's a conflict, and you're meeting soldiers from either side, what have you. In the woods, it's probably going to be a little more wild, um, or if they're in uncivilized area, then I can pull a lot more, uh, you know, different elements. But I'll make travelers who are on missions. Um, my players have met groups that were totally on their own missions, and the players have interacted with them. Hell, and even in some cases, the players followed them because they were convinced that these, uh, these uh, wandering encounters meant something. And they did. Maybe, maybe not what the players thought, but it just shows them that there's a more dynamic world out there. Um, pilgrims and travelers who are going to and from religious places are also a great thing to put in outdoor wandering encounters. Um, friendly monsters. My players have certainly ran into their fair share of potential allies and have even made some and used some. So it just doesn't have to be the standard bog, you know, 1D10 orcs, 1D20 skeletons. You can throw some really cool things in there. And I always like my wandering monster charts to show a world that has purpose. Okay, so the next question. Making the first level of a dungeon, how do I do that? And, and I know that this question came from the fact that when I'm first creating a campaign, I try to create the first level of each dungeon that, uh, that the players are going to run into. Well, there's a number of different things I'll do. 
a lot of times I'll look for inspiration in just the campaign itself. You know, if I have a particular location, what is the purpose of the location so that maybe the first level is easily going to write itself? You know, if it's the ruins of a castle, well, that's pretty easy. The first level of the dungeon is the dungeon. So I have a good idea of the kind of layout that I'm going to uh, look for. Um, another one is, uh, you know, if that doesn't appeal to me, then maybe I'll go looking on the web. Hey, the One Page Dungeon Contest, which I'll talk about in a few minutes, is a great place to go to find dungeons and ideas for dungeons. So that way I can go and grab those and kind of run with them as is, or maybe I'll use them as inspiration and, you know, come up with my own. Um, for the dungeon layout itself, it really depends on my mood. If I'm in a hurry, I'm going and grabbing something that's been pre-drawn, usually by Dyson Logos, because he is the god of RPG cartography, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I may use one of the random uh, generators and get some inspiration from there. Or maybe I've got an idea in my head and I just end up drawing it out myself. Um, but whatever it is, I try to start out small. Um, you know, most of the time I'm not going with the intent of writing a mega dungeon. And by a mega dungeon, I mean something that has, you know, 50, 75, 100 rooms uh, uh, to itself. Um, most of these first level dungeons f that I'm first coming up with, you know, 10, 20 rooms, something like that, that at least will give the players enough to do for a session or two. And uh, while I'm trying to write more while they're exploring the first level. Um... I try to make my dungeons a little bit consistent, but I do try to inject some weirdness into them, as I mentioned uh, with the Wandering Monster charts. Um, I like to make factions in dungeons. To me, a dungeon should be a place where there's at least two groups trying to duke it out or trying to cohabit in some sort of peacefulness. And uh, that gives the players an opportunity, maybe to make allies, maybe to pit them against each other, maybe just to stay out of the way and let the, the dust settle and then they pick up the pieces afterwards. But I want it to feel alive and I want it to have some interesting elements to it. Um, I will, since I have been involved with this from the beginning, I usually make my dungeons in a one-page dungeon template, and that's just to come up with the basic ideas. And then what I will do is I will take those quick ideas, and then I will expand on them a little bit. So I'll usually have the one-page dungeon sitting in front of me uh, at game day, but behind it I've got three or four pages of notes and other things, so that way when I need that detail, I've got it right there. The next question, and this one's a doozy. How do I run wilderness adventures? And in other words, how do I translate from my hex key to tabletop descriptions? Oh boy, that one could be its own episode itself, but I'll try and briefly summarize, especially since, and you'll hear some noise here, I happen to have the adventure that I ran today. So I have my hex key open in front of me. But for each game, I will write up essentially a written, not a script, but a written outline of where the players are at and what they're going to run into. So 
Um, and you know, I should probably post a picture of one of these. On the left-hand side, I have, and this is from an adventure that happened a couple of weeks or a couple weeks ago. Yeah, um, how things are going to start. It was going to start that two of my players are going to have dreams. So I outlined those, and then there were three main elements that were kind of going on in the world. There was a pursuit. The players were being chased. There was something called the Oath, something that my players were going to run into if they visited a town. And then there was something called the Rebellion up north. Uh, there's a bit of a rebellion happening in my campaign world that the players are trying to avoid. Then on, and this is a two-column paper, by the way, uh, that was in the left column. On the right column, I have the various hex areas with the big things that are in the hex and then the minor things. Um, if the players are traveling through a hex, basically they have a one in six chance to miss the big thing. Sometimes you just don't take the path that takes you to the main element, and that's okay. Um, for the small things, I give them a one in six or a two in six to maybe stumble across these things if they're just traveling around or if they happen to be looking for it, then you know, I'll give them more of an opportunity. And these here are just quick summaries. So at a glance, I can see that in hex 227.43, there's no major element, but there is a minor element. There's a small little crossing of an ancient stone bridge that's going to lead to the ruins of an ancient fortress that's completely empty and no monsters. But it's interesting for the players to poke around in, as it ends up they found two huge feathers from some sort of flying creature that they ran into the next game. Whereas in another hex, if there's a major encounter there, I'll have that outlined, and then later on in a subsequent page, I'll have that encounter a little bit more spelled out. So I've got this at a glance, so it's sitting in front of me, and as the players are traveling, I can look down, I can see it, and I can explain it. Now, the idea of major elements and minor elements, I stole from a uh, website called Welsh Piper. Highly encourage you to give that a look. Uh, this blog has a really nice format. I don't quite use it as written, but it certainly inspired me in how I, uh, how I create my uh, hex descriptions. Also on this page, I have my encounters. Uh, so I have it outlined. There's a X in eight chance that they may encounter something in a forest and an X in six chance that they may encounter something on a road. And then I have them, or I have different roles and different things for that. Just to give you an idea, and these are elements that the players have already ran into, uh, they may run into a flying panther who has been summoned. Uh, and the druid ended up talking to him and found out what was going on. They may, run, they may stumble onto an abandoned farmstead of three buildings, and then when they go in, there are ten rage zombies waiting for them. They may run into a soaking heavy rain for the rest of the day that is unnatural. They may run into a blind young woman who is stumbling around, and I have the note of which hex she came from because there might be something there for the players to find. Um, they may run into merchants who are traveling, and so I have a note of what, uh, what he has on him and what's the likelihood that he may have some goods that the players want and how much gold he has should they try to sell stuff to him or rob from him, because, you know, thieves and PCs. 
So that's kind of at a glance. And then as the players are moving from one hex to the other, uh, I'll roll for an encounter in the morning and an encounter in the evening. If nothing happens or if nothing's going on, then I'll roll to see if they miss or find things. If they totally miss everything and it's a calm, clear day, guess what? You move through that hex in about a minute. You go through, you camp, nothing happens. Next day, let's keep going. Um, if they run into something, I'll maybe roll a dice to see what time of day they run into it. And then uh, we go from there. If they run into an encounter, I'll figure out what time of day that they've hit that encounter. And then we'll, we'll do the encounter accordingly. And that's really kind of how I do my hex map explorations. Not too vastly different from how I may describe a dungeon. Um, and I certainly try to keep myself organized so that I have all my information there. So that way I'm not thumbing through a lot of pages and trying to tell them what's going on. Um, but you know what? You're going to come up with your own way of what works for you and your players. And uh, again, I highly encourage you to experiment to see uh, what works for you and to go from there. All right, so that's about it for uh, this episode. I really want to encourage you to keep those questions and comments coming, and I'd like to do another one of these episodes here in the future. This was kind of fun. Um, I'd really like to encourage you to review my podcast on iTunes. Um, it really helps to uh, promote the podcast on iTunes because that way you get more listeners, get more comments, keeps me going and keeps this thing going. So please, the reviews help. Um, please retweet and share my podcast around. Would really love to see uh, a lot of people get a hold of this and learn about how to do old school campaigns. I uh, would also like to encourage you to enter into the uh, one page dungeon contest that is going on from now till March 1st, or sorry, May 1st, and you have an opportunity to win a lot of cool prizes. There's more information on dungeoncontest.com. I have the honor of being a judge for this 10th anniversary of the one page dungeon contest. That's a contest that I, uh, the chatty DM, Philippe, uh, Michael Curtis, and uh, David Bowman Sham back in 2009 uh, came up with. And so I think it's cool that I, I get to return again for the 10th anniversary. Please enter your dungeon. It doesn't matter how how uh, if you can draw or not. Just come up with a really cool one-page dungeon and have a lot of fun entering it. And who knows? Maybe you'll win one of the really neat prizes there. Uh, and also, as a reminder, I do have a special podcast episode coming up where I'm going to be sharing uh, the microphone with someone from the old school world who I learned a lot about creating campaign worlds from, and I think you will too. All right, that's it for now. Until next time, game on. Game on.